Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Well, hello, Herod. It's just great to be back with you. Want to welcome all of you at each of our locations as well as online. I'm coming back from two weeks of vacation away with my family, and it was just really good to get away and be together uh, with Beth and Joshua and Daniel. In fact, here's a picture of us while we were on vacation out at the beach, and I just want to point out to you that this is a old-fashioned selfie. It's old school. It's not using using any selfie stick at all. It's just straight arm, and uh, everybody's in it, and the lighthouse in the background. And it captures just the, uh, part of a moment for us as we're having a blast together. And it's good to get away as a nuclear family, but it's also good to be back with my church family. I miss being with the church. And we're not a perfect church, but we unashamedly love Jesus. And we want to make him famous. And we don't always do that perfectly, but we are committed to striving to honor him with excellence. And one of the things that makes us different is that we choose to live out of the love and the grace and the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from Jesus. So we seek more for people than from people. We seek to give more than we take. And if you're a guest with us, I'm glad you're here. This is actually week eight of what will be nine weeks of a journey in the book of Acts. We've been looking at some of the high points and key events in the early church. We've basically been unpacking how, how the church became part of a movement as they sent people that changed the world. How they went from a group in hiding to a people on mission, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the spirit that sets the church on fire, and that's a good thing. Because we, even us as the church, we live in some of the most unreached cities in the U.S., And we're called to share the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus with everybody we can. So that's our boss, that's our coworker, it's the waitress, it's the store clerk, it's our neighbor. Because the gospel is not just for those who follow Jesus. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. That's your first fill-in if you're following along in your sermon note guide. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for who? Everyone. Everyone. So the gospel, which is the word for good news, the good news about Jesus is for everyone. The good news that we can have new life in him, that we can have a relationship with God. And every one of us, all people, have this, this desire for greater intimacy with God. It's just that we don't always know how to get from where we're at to where we want to be or to get to that kind of relationship, to understand how we make that move. 
And sometimes it's because of what we have done or what we have failed to do that we start to question whether it's even still possible. But listen to me, it is possible. And so much more than that. Jesus talked about it. He talked about greater things. In John chapter 14, he said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Whoa, that's crazy. But he goes on and he says, he will do, he or she will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That's phenomenal. That we can not only do the things that Jesus did, but greater things because he went to the Father and then sent the Holy Spirit to set us on fire, to empower us as his ambassadors in this world. It's wonderful, but honestly, sometimes I don't think we know how to get from where we're at to that. Which is why, through this Acts series, we've been unpacking a reality that's reflected in this diagram. That everybody have, has a deep longing to find God. Our hearts hunger to connect with God. But because of sin, we can't. He's holy and can't be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we are separated from him. But here's the good news. The good news is that no matter who you are, where you have been, or what you have done, you don't have to be stuck just yearning for a relationship with God. You can experience God through Jesus Christ. Because of his life and his death and his resurrection, he conquers sin and death, and he provides a bridge. And so you and I, we can experience a holy God, creator God, we can know him as Father, as Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what empowers us and sets us on fire. Because when, when you and I, when we believe in our heart and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we receive salvation and we are saved. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing, but that is not a destination in and of itself. There is another part to it that we are then positioned to live sent. As a people in the world, but not of it. A people positioned to build bridges over other gaps in relationships, through culture, through race, through religion, these gaps that separate us from other people. We build bridges so that others can make their own choice to cross this bridge. That's what we do as a sent people. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I hope you can draw this thing all on your own and you know this. And more importantly, I hope you're living it. Because this and this are possible. Jesus is not creating some false sense of hope here. Jesus is truth, therefore everything he says is true. And we can experience greater things. The question is how? How do we experience those greater things in our life and the life of others? How do we position ourselves to see God do that? And quite honestly, although everybody desires greater intimacy with God, most of us often settle for less than what he actually wants to impart to us. But Jesus says there's more. When we follow him, we pursue him, we chase after him, there is more. But yet when we lose sight of the bigger picture, when we stop short, we can struggle to make sense of what he's doing, how he's functioning in our life, and what he calls us to. 
without the bigger picture, without a belief and expectancy that there is more, we can just live in a posture where we're just always longing for more, left wanting more. While we were on vacation, the boys and I had a chance to hit Universal Studios. It was just a fun place to go for a day. And it's got, you know, different parts of the park are themed by movies. And we went to, at one point, to the Jurassic Park area. And here's a picture of us in that area. There we are hanging out together, me and my boys, and the perfect T-Rex photobomb. It's perfect. He's not trying to bite us. Look at him. He's smiling. He's just peeking in on a photobomb. But here we are in the park, and, and with all the buzz around the new Jurassic World uh, movie, we thought it'd be cool to go there. And so we went on the ride that was in there, but it was the old school Jurassic Park ride. It was from the original movies. And, and honestly, all the movies kind of have the same storyline, right? It starts out with people play with dinosaurs, something goes wrong. Then what? Dinosaurs play with people, and it's not good. Everything goes wrong. So here we are, we're at the park, we decide to go on this ride, and we, so we get on the boat with a bunch of other people, and, and it starts out just like a movie does, where you're cruising along with inspirational music, and these large gates open, and then there's like gentle music, and you meet these gentle, you know, gi- these gentle giants anim- animated dinosaurs, and they're friendly, and we're cruising along until suddenly there's a broken fence. And then there's rustling in the bushes. And then there's this crashed patrol boat and radio squawking saying there's a, there's a disaster happening. Stay where you're at. Don't proceed any further. We're coming to rescue you. But the boat keeps going and we hit this ramp and there's these raptor cages and they fall and drop open and then we're cruising up the ramp inside this building and raptors are coming at us through different fences and we get to the top and we turn around left and there comes the T-Rex. Well, actually it's because the T-Rex has little arms and there's and then he kind of bends down and he gets to about here, everything goes dark, he goes silent and pulls back into a hole. And we're just sitting there. We're looking at each other. (laughs) Nothing's happening. This goes on for like a minute or so. And suddenly the T-Rex goes, comes out and just as he starts to bend down again, bam, we get hit from behind by the next group of people in the next boat. And then he bends down and goes into the hole and it's quiet. And now there's two groups of people stuck in this ride. It's a disaster in a disaster. (laughs) At the moment you're supposed to climb up to the top, approach this T-Rex, and and as he's kind of coming down, you escape the jaws of death and go down the chute into the sunlight, and the ride's done, and we're stuck. We know there's more. We can see more. We want to experience more. But we don't do anything. (laughs) We just sat there. And Joshua leans over to me and he goes, well, I guess they're really going to have to come get us now, Dad. (laughs) Listen, we can get on a faith ride and we can stop spiritually short. Things can go wrong. Things can go sideways. We can get hit from behind, hit by other people. And we can stop short. And we can know there's more. We can long for more. We can want to experience more, but we can find ourselves doing nothing to see that realized. Two literal boatloads of people. (laughs) And when we do that, spiritually, we find ourselves just longing for more. But the Church on Fire series has been designed to make sure that we don't live that way. See, up until this point in our journey through the book of Acts, uh, the Faith and the gospel has been focused on one people group. It's the Jews, Jewish people. 
And, and it makes sense that Jesus was the Messiah and uh, that all gets that, I understand that, but it was just limited to one people group, but it was God's intent to make new life in Jesus available to all people. Not just Jews, but non-Jews. And those who are not Jews, non-Jews, are called Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And most of the people who make up the heritage family are Gentiles. And it's a beautiful thing that the heart of God wanted to include Gentiles. We get to be included. All people can be included in the salvation that Jesus offers. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing now, but it was also a great thing back in the first century church. The problem was Jews and Gentiles didn't readily get along. In fact, a faithful Jewish male would wake up every morning and pray a prayer to God that thanked God that they were not a slave or a Gentile. Kind of hard in relationship when you do that. On the flip side, Gentiles looked at Jews as weird traditionalists who worshiped pigs because they wouldn't eat pork. There were a lot of things and animosity that created a number of gaps between two people groups that limited and challenged the ability to build bridges and advance the gospel. But God had more. He desired more. He wanted to see more. He had greater things in mind. And and here's the thing, that, that God will always use people who are ready for more. Our God will always use people who are ready for more. And in Acts chapter 10, we find two individuals who were ready for more that God uses in significant ways. That one was a Jew and one was a Gentile. And because they were both ready for more, God uses them to see more, to do more, and accomplish and experience more. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me, grab it and and turn or click to Acts chapter 10. We're actually picking up in this journey what is believed to be about eight years from the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit was given, which is the day we recognize the birth of the church. And so it's been eight years, and the gospel has been advancing, but it is about to go to a whole nother level. And so in Acts chapter 10, as we were picking up this story, I invite you to follow along. We start with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner who lives, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, you can continue reading on your own. I encourage you to read the whole chapter at a later point, but let me just summarize what continues and what's happening simultaneously and through the rest of the chapter. You see, while this is happening in verses 1 to 8, Peter himself is praying in another location. Peter is praying and he gets hungry and, 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 and while his food is being prepared, he experiences a vision. He actually experiences the same vision three times. And because of what it is, he resists it. He pushes against it. But 
the Spirit continues to speak to him. In fact, the Spirit reveals that these men have come, that they, have, that they want to meet with him, and he's supposed to go down and meet with them. And so he actually goes down, and he has this awkward encounter, because remember, there's no natural bridges between these two people groups. But he has this interaction with them to the point that he invites them in, they stay the night, and the very next morning they go and they head back to meet with Cornelius. Now, you got to think about this. Cornelius at this point is just excited. I mean, he's beside himself. So much so, he invites all of his closest friends, all of his family. He gets them in the house so that when Peter finally arrives, Peter is met with a full household of people. And Peter's like, okay, I'm here because I know I'm supposed to be, but tell me what's going on. And Cornelius shares his vision. And then Peter shares the gospel. And we're told in verse 44 that as Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon all of those who heard the message. And this is a powerful transformational moment. Because the reality is that the Holy Spirit bridges through the bridges we build. And too often we overcomplicate what it means to do this. See, it is not our job to convict or convince anybody of anything. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to, is to communicate the truth in love by word and deed. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict a person and draw them to the Father, to God. And it's exactly what's happening here in Acts 10. The people hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit moves in that context. They get saved, the whole household, the, all the family and friends, and then they get baptized and if you've made a decision for Jesus but not yet stepped obediently into baptism, guess what your next step of obedience is? Get baptized. And these people who make that decision to, to step across this bridge then step obediently into baptism and then they ask Peter to hang out with them and, and be with them for a bit longer. And this is a beautiful, powerful moment. And it's not just beautiful and powerful because of what it meant for Cornelius and his family and friends. It's beautiful and powerful because what was per perceived to be just for some is now understood to be available for all. And the gospel is for everyone. Now, some people look at this passage and say, you know what, this, this passage is solely about Cornelius' conversion. And that's certainly part of it. And then there's others who will go a little bit further and say, well, it's not just Cornelius' conversion. It's actually kind of Peter's conversion in accepting the Gentiles. Well, that's certainly part of the journey as well. But I think a more comprehensive understanding of Acts chapter 10 is that it reveals for us how God uses a people who are ready for more. How God uses people who are ready for more. And I think I want to spend just a few moments with you talking about what it looks like to have that kind of readiness. What it looks like to experience something beyond what we know. These greater things that Jesus talked about. And I want to do it by looking at the life of Cornelius and Peter. Because they were both ready for more. And it breaks down into three realities. That being ready for more requires a commitment to chase, a willingness to invest, and a faithfulness to pray. Chase, invest, pray. In fact, say those with me. A commitment to, a willingness to, and a faithfulness to. All right, you got them? 
Okay, good. We're going to dig in a little bit more. And I want to unpack these by looking at one particular verse, just one. I want to look at verse 2 in chapter 10. And it's specifically about Cornelius, but the, the things within it actually reveal things within Peter's life when we look at the whole of Scripture. So in, in chapter, two, or chapter 10, verse 2 is where we're going to focus. So let's take a look at it right now. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, let me give you just a little bit of context. This is about Cornelius, but the principles we're going to unpack apply to both Peter and Cornelius. But the context here is that Caesarea was a Roman city along the Mediterranean in the, in the province of Judea. And it was the headquarters for the governor. The Roman governor lived there. But it's also the place that we know and find Cornelius. And the first thing we learn about him is that he is an officer in the Roman army. But not just any officer in any Roman unit. He is a centurion in an Italian cohort, an Italian regiment. And there were actually 32 of those cohorts. They were all volunteers. And they were considered to be the most loyal to Rome. That in and of itself would have been an issue for a devoted Jew like Peter. To say, I'm not going to go build a bridge. I'm not going to go meet with that guy. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. But Cornelius was different. He had a faith in God. It was real. It was not half-hearted or, or simply covering religious bases. It was significant enough that an angel speaks to Cornelius directly, even calls him by name, and Cornelius responds with reverent fear and a readiness for more. And God always uses people who are ready for more. So let's take a closer look at the three realities. First, that being ready for more starts with a commitment to chase. And we go back to verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Cornelius pursued excellence as a centurion and as a leader, but he also pursued excellence as a man devoted to God and to prayer. He was committed to his faith. He was devout. And although he lacked a relationship with Jesus, that will change by the end of the chapter. Yet he wanted to see even greater things. And his readiness was first rooted in a sincere commitment to pursue God, to chase him. Readiness for more starts with a willingness to chase. The second thing is that being ready for more requires a willingness to invest. Let's look back at verse 2. He gave generously to those in need. Now, there's a few things we can pull out of this, but each of them kind of point to that giving of time and talent and treasure are essential to readiness. And if we don't do it or won't do it, we won't see more. We won't see the greater things God has for us. It's pretty straightforward and simple. Jesus talked about where our treasure is, there our heart is. And so time, talent, and treasure are things that we need to hold with open hands, open-handedly wanting to be generous so that God can work in and through them so that our heart is aligned to him and not our stuff. And Cornelius was already postured to say, look, I am being generous. I am giving beyond myself. But it's not just about stuff and treasure because I think there's an element of investing when it comes to time that we got to understand here that there was an immediate obedience factor. He obeyed immediately. Cornelius obe immediately followed the angel's instructions. He, even though God asked him to, to do something strange and unusual without explanation, he, he obeyed. And the deal is, delayed obedience is a form of disobedience. When God says that we're supposed to do something and we delay, we're actually positioning ourselves in a posture of disobedience. And sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make sense to us at the time. But we're still called to obey. Being careful to never use that concept to justify personal pursuits. Because we can do that. 
yeah, there's this thing, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but it must be God asking me to do something that doesn't make any sense. I know, hang on a second. One of the ways that we can test that is to look at the level of sacrifice. Look at the level of cost. Because the things of God always come with a cost and a sacrifice. They are not self-serving. They cost something. And being willing to pay any price, being willing to pay a cost, is part of being ready for more. And one of the things I love about Cornelius is that, you know, he didn't have the luxury of the whole story he was living. We do have that luxury. We have the whole story. We know this was for his good. But Cornelius didn't know that at the time. Yet, he sent three men. He sent two servants and a faithful attendant, a soldier. Now, he could have sent less men, and he could have sent less qualified men. But what Cornelius chose to do is he responded by giving God his best. And being ready for more takes an immediate investment of our best. And it's always worth it. Always. One of my favorite quotes is from Jim Elliott, and he wrote it in his journal, and it's just simply this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I love the simplicity, but yet depth of that statement. That when you and I, with open hands, offer up the things that we ultimately can't keep for the glory of God, to ultimately receive the things that last for eternity, that's wisdom, and that's beautiful. And that statement captures what Cornelius and both Peter were doing in this chapter. A commitment to chase, a willingness to invest, and thirdly, faithfulness to pray. Being ready for more requires prayer. And we know from verse 2 that he prayed to God regularly. Now, prayer is, is a beautiful, amazing, wonderful thing. It's a conversation with God. It's where we talk. It's where we listen. Too often, prayer for people is a monologue to God. But I want to encourage you to balance your prayer life with conversation where you speak and then listen. Let God speak, not just force him to listen. Prayer is a beautiful conversation. And in this particular chapter, prayer does a few things. It's in your sermon note guide and notes section, but it's also up here on the screen. Prayer precedes the vision. For both Cornelius and Peter, prayer was a part of their life that preceded God's willingness to give the vision. Prayer precedes vision. Prayer also provides the mission. For both Peter and Cornelius, that prayer facilitate, their prayer life facilitated understanding what God was asking them to do, the task, the mission, the next step. It pr provides the mission, but it also prepares the prayer. Uh, that's not a real word. That's why it's in quotes. Uh, the one who prays gets transformed. When we pray, God does a work in us that changes us and prepares us. Prayer does that, but it also produces the person. It produces the person on the other side of the gap that we're to bridge to. It produces the person that God's going to bring alongside us, like Peter to Cornelius, to help us in our journey and help carry the load and to be mentored and discipled. It produces the person, but it also prepares the heart of both us and the other person. The one who goes and the one who receives. Prayer does all of those things, and it was a catalyst for both Cornelius and Peter. And being ready for more requires faithfulness to pray. So in verse 2, we see that he and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. You know, I, I love the fact that the Word of God is so powerful and so rich and so layered that we can take one verse and dissect it in context and find a treasure trove of truth. That's the Word of God. There's the power to transform a life. 
power of the Word of God brings authority into our life. And we as a people are committed to following what the Word of God says. Commitment to chase, a willingness to invest, and a faithfulness to pray. You know, at the foundation of what it means to walk with God is the reality that true surrender to Jesus is a way of life. It's a way of life and not a mere moment of decision. And it's not just a moment in time, it's a decision to live a certain way, to live under his authority. And being ready for more requires more. Cornelius and Peter were, were both, they were both devoted and devout. Even just looking at Cornelius in this short passage, we can see that he was willing, he was obedient, he was generous, he was prayerful, he was teachable. And all that equaled a readiness for more. And you and I, we are called to live that way too. Faithful with what we have been given. Not living for lesser purposes like ourselves, our own gain, or our own significance. But I got to tell you, this world is a tough place to live in. And the enemy, Satan, man, he is constantly seeking to trip us up. He tempts us to live lesser lives and to live for lesser things. And we all have to fight those battles. I'll just be really transparent with you. For like the last week or so, man, he has been hammering me with doubt and discouragement, even some despair, to the point that I started struggling with fear about coming to preach. <laughs> it's crazy. So I rallied some men around me to pray. I leaned into the Word of God. I started chasing after Him again, and I found freedom. The Word of God brought me back to what was true. But the enemy, man, he wants to mess with the things that God is trying to do in big ways. And I'm just a guy. I have the same spiritual attacks you do. But the power that we each have to stand in that comes from the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And we all face battles that we have to fight. And it's really tempting to say, you know what? I'm just going to go with my preferences. I'm going to work in my power. I'm going to follow my agenda. And that's really easy to do, especially in a world with so many challenges, so many shifting realities, cultural realities that are shifting. But listen, when Jesus is Lord, we, it's no longer about us. We no longer live for ourselves. And we don't get to choose what truth is. We don't get to choose who is included and who's not included. We may have personal preferences and opinions about people or positions, but when we follow Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him. And, and we don't determine our purpose or our identity. We don't determine who we are or what we do. And we certainly, certainly don't decide what's right and what's wrong. When, when we do that, then He is no longer Lord. When we position ourselves to define what sin is outside of the context of the Word of God, then we are no longer in need of a Savior, and Jesus died for nothing. But the truth is, Jesus holds all authority. He determines what's right and wrong. He imparts the Holy Spirit. He allows us to experience greater things. And Cornelius and Peter were ready for more as they chased after God, as they invested, and as they prayed. And I wonder if today, if you are ready for more, are you ready? Would God look upon you and say, you are ready for more? Let's take it this to the so what reality and unpack it just briefly. 
When you choose to follow Jesus, when you and I step into that relationship, we can really expect to see greater things, but it will first require readiness developed within us, within you. And here's a couple of things that are easy to remember, but maybe not so easy to live out unless we're fully surrendered. But the first is that we pursue God. This is that commitment to chase peace. It, this is where we make an intentional effort to pursue God. We read the scriptures, we, we pray, we gather together with the church, we submit to him, and we be faithful to him. We daily live for him. He says that if we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. Pursue him. Now let me give you a secret to this pursuit of God thing. The reality is that pursuing will always involve refining, pruning, and brokenness. When that happens, don't quit chasing. Don't misinterpret the refining and the pruning and the, and the crushing that God brings into your life to purify you, to make you new as something that shouldn't be. He will never shatter you, but he will allow brokenness and crushing to refine you so that the image of his son can be seen more clearly in and through you. Don't stop chasing in the midst of the pruning and the refining. Pursue God. Then be willing to partner with God. This is that willingness to invest of time and talent and treasure. When it comes to the timepiece, say no to certain things so that you can say yes to the things of God. When he calls, you can be like Cornelius and say, what is it, Lord? Here am I, send me. Beyond the timepiece is that talent piece, the things that you are positioned to do, your skills, your abilities, even the relationships you have. Use those for his glory and his purpose, not your own. And then when it comes to the treasure, give generously. Use, use that stuff for his glory with open hands. Partner with God. And thirdly, pray. A faithfulness to pray. Prayer precedes the vision. If you want to see God move, if you want to see your household transformed, pray first. If we're not regularly and consistently praying, we won't see God move. We won't see more. What sets Cornelius apart and even Peter apart is their commitment to pray. It was prayer, and God uses people who pray. And here's the interesting thing about all three of these, the partnership, the pursuit, and the prayer, that when we pursue him and we partner with him and we pray, well, that positions us to be used by God for his glory. And it indicates that we put authority with God. Even Cornelius, early on, communicated that God had authority as he chased him, as he partnered with him, as he was praying to him. And as he stepped into a relationship with Jesus, that submission and that consecration got all the more deep and rich. And when we as a people say, Lord, I will pursue you, I will partner with you, and I will pray to you, then we say, you have authority. And because you have authority, you can define who I am and what I do. You get to define my identity and my purpose. Authority rests with the Holy God. But the problem that's happening within many households, within, with, even within our culture, within our nation right now, is that we're shifting authority. We're shifting authority to us and saying we get to define who we are and what we do. We're shifting authority to other people to say they get to define who we are and what we do, as opposed to giving authority to Creator God. And when we shift that authority away from him, this whole thing gets messed up. It goes sideways and you end up stuck with some T-Rex that actually can't bite us. There's some stuff happening within our culture that, that um, are, is positioning challenge upon the church and upon the authority of God. And as a church, we've been working for months to be ready to talk and move and lead in a way that positions the church to be the church. 
And so I want you to know, for those that call Heritage home, that in August we're going to have one, at least the first, of a series of family conversations where we're going to talk about issues related to authority. And we're going to talk about how we live in a culture that is shifting and how we remain true to the Word of God and how we remain true to the authority of God. And I invite you to be part of that. August 23rd, 6 p.m. will be one of the first family conversations because it's important we know how to now live as a people who no longer live for ourselves but live for Him in a culture that is shifting, in a culture that increasingly looks like a Roman culture that the first century church lived in. But I tell you that God is always willing and ready to use people who are ready for more. And I find it interesting that the first Gentile that Jesus dealt with in his public ministry, at least that we know of being recorded, because it is recorded, he was also a Roman centurion. I find that interesting. He was from Capernaum. And when Jesus healed that centurion's servant, Jesus said this in Matthew 8. He said, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus was saying was, the gospel is for everyone. It was what was happening here in Acts 10. And it is what is supposed to be happening and being facilitated by us now here in these cities. More people included in the rescue as we build bridges over the gaps. And I wonder, who does God want to include in his kingdom through you? I wonder who he has positioned in your life so that they can be included in his kingdom by the bridges that you build and the Holy Spirit can work in and through you. Cornelius was a good man, but he needed Jesus. And even good people who are respectful towards God still need to come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior and put their trust in him and what he's done. And that may be the reality for you. Today, you may be spiritually unresolved. You may have not given, ever given your life to Jesus, and you haven't ever crossed that spiritual gap through the sacrifice of Christ. And so the opportunity for you is to believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and then you step into a relationship with God, and you are saved, but then turned around and sent as well. And I encourage you to prayerfully talk with God about that reality and make that decision today. And whether you have made that decision before or you're considering doing it now, I want you to know that I want more for you. I want more for us as a church. I want us to see even greater things as a church. I want us to see whole households transformed. And I wonder if you do. Do you want to see God do greater things in your family? Do you want to see God do greater things in your marriage? Greater things in your workplace, greater things in your life. I do. I want to see these cities transformed, but it will only happen when we pursue God, we partner with God, and we pray passionately to God, begging Him to do what only He can. The task that God has called us to as a church requires more than what most people have been willing to give in time and talent and treasure to this point. But if we are going to reach the 200,000 people of the Quad Cities who do not yet know Jesus, it will require more people who are ready for more, pursuing and partnering and praying. And I realize that your heart may not yet be broken for those who do not yet know Jesus. Peter initially didn't care about the Gentiles knowing the gospel, but God did, and he always had. And so he asked Peter to go beyond his comfort zone and do what he had never done before. And God was then and is now saying to us, care about what I care about. 
pursue what I pursue, fight for what I fight for, and live for what I died for. And like he used Cornelius and Peter, he wants to use you. He wants to use us, you and me, as we pursue and partner and pray. And this is going to take more than half-hearted commitment or or passing agreement. This is going to take an an all-in commitment where we say, I'm going to set aside the things of the world. I'm going to hold open-handed time, talent, and treasure. I'm going to be all in. Because God is positioning us with relationships with people. He has given us his greater vision. And what we lack are people who are willing to live like Peter and Cornelius building bridges. But I wonder who he wants to include in his kingdom through you. It was Paul who wrote this. He said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. This is my prayer for us as a church, that we would live this way. As a people who no longer live for ourselves, free, belonging to no one, make ourselves a slave to everyone so that there will be more, many as possible experiencing salvation in Jesus. Who does God want to include in his kingdom through you? When we live this way, when the church lives this way, he sets us on fire and then he does incredible, miraculous things. And I know he is calling and asking you individually and us corporately to pursue him and partner with him and to just faithfully and consistently pray to him as a holy God, begging him to do what only he can. And when we do that, we will see even greater things. Let's take a moment even now when you join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, set us on fire. Lord, may we be obedient. Lord, may we be faithful. May we be generous. May we be bold. May we be faithful in our prayers. May we be willing to risk and not play it safe. May we be willing to build bridges. May we be willing to go the extra mile. May we be willing to sacrifice for you. And may you in response, may you by your Holy Spirit work and move in ways that transform these cities where whole households are transformed, where the power of your Spirit reigns, where Jesus is worshipped and he is glorified. God, may we be a church set on fire. Set us on fire, Lord. And may my brothers and sisters here today know what their next step is and may they take it. If it's to be spiritually resolved through Jesus for the very first time, may they have that conversation with you now. And for those that have already taken that step, may you give us the courage and the wisdom to live faithfully as a sent people, building bridges for your glory, for your kingdom. I love you, Lord. Set us afire. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.